0: Welcome to CruxCast, whether you're in your car, at work or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com, so please subscribe.
1: Hi, good morning. My name is Justin Dime, Chairman and CEO of Schwaz, the largest vertically integrated cannabis company in Colorado. Glad to be with you here today.
0: Justin, well, thanks for joining us. Um, I, I thought I'd take the opportunity to speak to you because we were involved with the cannabis space, investing in the cannabis space back in the back in the day, heady days of 2017, 18, I, I suspect it was. Um, but it, you know, and it was a meteoric rise. People made a lot of money, and then it fell away as quickly as it came, and people lost a bit of money. So there's kind of some mixed perceptions about the cannabis space and what's going on out there at the moment. So we're going to talk today about schwaz and you can perhaps help us with what's going on in the industry too. So, uh, thank you very much for that. Schwaz, what does that mean?
1: Schwaz is uh, a technical term that actually facilitates growth of a cannabis plant. So, it's actually the defanning of plants during the growth cycle uh, to basically get rid of the uh, to get rid of the the, uh, the leaf structure, so the actual stem. In the root system can actually grow broaden and get more nutrients to uh, to what we're trying to arrive at and drive uh, the flower uh, flower development. So it's uh, it's absolutely about growth and good strong growth with bringing great nutrients to produce the, the highest quality flower.
0: Okay okay so optimizing the bud size is that is that roughly rough translation? No. Okay. Good. I'm there. Okay. Um, look, I think people have got perceptions about the Canada space as being a little bit of the Wild West. It was a very nice industry back in the day, say, you know, meteoric rise, meteoric fall. Um, people are maybe a little bit nervous about getting back into that. There's other things that they should be looking at. What on earth? Has brought you to this point. Why have you decided I need to invest in and build up a cannabis business?
1: You know, I I think that's probably a gentle term to talk about the wild wild west of cannabis several years ago, but uh, actually what's what's taking place now is a you know is the professionalism of a very large industry that's uh you know that will be. Equal to, if not larger than, the wine business or the spirits business down the road, and you know, much like our predecessors in the early 1900s, uh, when alcohol was uh, in its prohibition stage with the Volstead Act, uh, we're in the same position. So we're very close, I believe, for uh, the rains to come off on prohibition and for cannabis to be legal in a vast majority of the states. So we're very excited about that and if you look at it cannabis is uh cannabis does a lot of good for people whether it be for arthritis whether it is for headaches whether it's to treat cancer and uh you know other other different ailments whether it be uh joint pain or anxiety etc or simply for social means and picking an occasion to go you know to go watch a uh to Watch a movie, to go out and watch, it, watch a watch the live show, etc. So it's um, you know it's proving to be an important part of the U.S. life, and you're seeing a lot of folks coming into the category from a consumer perspective. We're starting to see more women uh, coming into what's historically been more of a male-dominated uh, category. So you know we're in our we're in our early uh, early stages of development, but it's incredibly exciting. Uh, we love Colorado. Colorado's got very stringent rules and regulations about uh, legal growth versus the illegal market. So it's very easy to do business here. And uh, we happen to be sitting here in Denver and it's the second largest uh, cannabis market in the country.
0: Okay, well, look, I, I do want to come on to all of the the upside, the the benefits that it has. But like I say, I, I just want to kind of, I need a building block from which to to to, you know, Grow my investment thesis, and it, it's when the, when we've had companies come on this show and talk about cannabis, and you know they're their, where they want to position themselves in the in the cannabis market, whether whether it be medicinal or other or, or you know adult or recreational. It the teams are young, they're very enthusiastic, they've got lots of ideas about how business works, but no experience, no capital. And th- that kind of business acumen that I would look for as an investor just isn't there. So, you know, what makes your team so special? Yes,
1: you know, and, and cert- certainly there are there are individuals in the industry that have great that have great perspective on products and terpenes and THC content and how the flower uh, is grown and where it was grown and what sort of phenotypes and strains it came from. So you have individuals that have you know really great great perspective on that. I think uh, cu- cu- you know, coupling that with individuals who know how to develop strategy, who know how to develop a vision around building a company, uh, building blueprints on how you want to run retail dispensary stores and what good looks like and what consistency looks like 7 days a week, 365 days. Uh, bringing disciplines around how you buy products and what quality of products you source and making sure they're the highest quality and they're taken very, very well care of as they're being developed. I think those things matter. Bringing a team in that's got great uh, financial discipline. So understanding what your costs are, understanding what your overhead costs are, understand how to budget that, understanding how to get operating leverage? Once you start growing more and more retail and more and more revenue, in a on a fixed uh, cost basis, and being able to do that, and then obviously being good stewards of capital, putting capital in places that are going to create competitive advantage for you over the long haul, and that are good that are good bets, frankly. So I think those types of things really matter in terms of developing. Uh, what we're trying to develop here, and that is the most admired cannabis company in Colorado. So bringing that discipline, bringing professionalism, and what we call, you know, really what we call our schwa's blueprint is the way we're professionalizing our business and hoping to do that for the industry.
0: Okay, great, great in theory, but where's the experience come from? Where's that knowledge come from? What have you done in the past?
1: Yeah, so it starts, you know, it starts with our team. It starts with me, my background. I came I started my career uh, doing process and technology consulting and strategy consulting at arthur anderson i moved into general electric where i did strategy mergers and acquisitions for the aircraft engines business which effectively their aerospace business for several years so how to think about markets how to think about profit pools how to think about supply chains and then how to go run a business i ran a business for them in hamburg germany that was very successful and uh, where we we tackle both growth and efficiency in our manufacturing operations and distribution. So being able to have your hands on data, being able to make good decisions around that. And then I went on to working at a private equity equity shop in New York where we took a, a very large food retailer who was vertically integrated we took them private albertson's companies in 2006 and we grew that business Uh, once we restructured it fixed it we grew that business from 3 billion to over 60 billion dollars in revenue and from 75 million of ebitda to 3.5 billion of ebitda over about 11 year period of time so we uh and that many of those team members are here with me that i recruited over so being, being very good at retail, being very good at manufacturing, being very good at distribution, being very good at category management, uh, being very good at technology and having an integrated ERP system where you've got complete visibility and control over the business and understand what's happening. Uh, I think that's those are the foundations needed to compete, not only today, but into the future.
0: So when did you join this business?
1: Uh, I, became, I became CEO December 2019.
0: Okay. And have you put money into it?
1: I have, I have. So our group, our group has got close to forty-five million dollars invested in this business. So we're, we are committed to it. We believe in it.
0: So your group, you and I guess friends and family, or however it's structured, you put forty-five million bucks into this. Okay, that's commitment. Um, I do want to talk about some of those skill sets you just mentioned in terms of, you know, especially the retail component with with Albertson. That, that's truly fascinating to me because that's a big important part of this route to market. Um, but let's just finish with the let's continue talking about the team here because the other big hurdle in uh, cannabis has been legal, regulatory, cross state, cross county borders. In the U.S., and that's where you are. So, how are you managing
1: that? Yeah, so let's talk. Let's talk about our staff and, and who we've recruited. So, when when I came on board, we uh, we basically started we started the uh, the clock again, and we went out and really cleaned the slate and brought in people that we we knew we wanted and sort of what the objective was. So, let's go first and foremost. We've got a, a terrific chief operating officer. Uh, Narup Krishnamurthy. Uh, Narup has been a uh, partner at Die Capital, so he's got good private equity experience of fixing things, and has worked with me there. He was the chief restructuring officer at AMP and took a uh, a ton of costs out of that system as he as they brought him in to try to save that in the ban- in, in the bankruptcy process. That's actually where I met him, and was incredibly impressed with his. Uh, capabilities, knowledge, experience. He's a PhD in decision sciences, so he is a very, very smart guy. And not only that, has applied it to many other areas. He was also the uh, chief information officer for United and helped restructure United after 9-11. So, um, you know, very consistent, has seen big, difficult situations, has got a great operating uh, background on how to drive retail, how to drive supply chain, and how to, get the, how to get the team to buy into what we're doing and get along and pull the same direction, which is awfully important. Uh, the next person is Todd Williams. Todd was with me at Albertsons. He ran corporate development and M&A at Albertsons and really was key in growing that, that business from 192 stores to 2,300 stores. And we did a number of acquisitions. And we underwrote the acquisitions. We we had a synergy office and an integration office that he was involved with. And you know, we I'll give you one example: Safeway, which was a large acquisition for us, where we were nearly doubling the business. uh, We generated uh, we committed $825 million of annual synergies that would accrete to the bottom line. And the team the team delivered a a a billion. So. You know, the ability to put your money where your mouth is and go deliver really tough things. Uh, This team's done that. And uh, the next is Nancy Huber, our CFO. She has been a CFO in uh, CPG areas, uh, tech companies, has been a public CFO, brings a lot of integrity and calmness and how to get things done, making sure accounting's right, uh, she's put in a budgeting process so we're very disciplined around that doing zero-based budgeting and has done a nice job with really standing up our financial infrastructure FP&A and the other things that we need to do and she uh, she's got she's got an engineering degree from Purdue very smart and has an MBA from Northwestern Kellogg School of Business which is uh, you know, a top five MBA program. So Nancy's been a, a key ad, and then on my executive status, the last person is Dan Pabone. Dan serves as our general counsel and head of government affairs. Dan is a, a very talented guy that uh, we handpicked uh, a couple of years ago. He was actually uh, the guy that put the rules in place in Colorado on how to on how to regulate cannabis. So he was on the House of Representatives and uh, was asked. Uh, to lead that. So he's put in a great set of rules. Those have adapted over time, and he's consulted all over the country and all over the world on how to set up uh, cannabis regulations. So Dan, uh, one, is very incredibly smart, knows every nuance of, of the regs, as well as uh, has great relationships here within the state with the governor, with the mayor of Denver, with local jurisdictions all over the state, and is well thought of in, in Washington, D.C. as well. So uh, that, that's sort of the senior team. And then below that team, we've got, you know, we recruited a gentleman to run data sciences for us so we can look at consumer behavior, path to purchase. He ran global data sciences for Under Armour. So we've got a very good team there. Uh, we have our individual that's running retail for us, Colin Lodge. Colin has, uh, has, a, has a great retail background. He came from Albertsons and uh, did m and did corporate development, ran, helped ran a uh, food delivery uh, food delivery business for us, and has been here with us for a couple of years. Colin knows our playbook, knows what our retail blueprint is, and has done a fabulous job. And then we have other, uh, Jim Parco, who was acquired. Okay.
0: Yeah, I just, I, I, I get it. You're not messing around with the team. That's what I'm hearing. You, you've you've gone for the A team, or as an analogy people use, you 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 built you built a, Ro, a Rolls Royce, but at the moment you're like like a Prius. You're 100 million market cap. So why did you feel the need to spend that money to get that team in now, and not just so, something that was fit for purpose for where you're at in the process? What, help me with the help me with this because you, you've, you've you've taken a three billion company to 60 billion. You've got you, you know what you're doing. I just want you to share that with me now about what what are the parallels with what you did then versus what you're trying to do here? Because that team is serious.
1: Well, we've got. I mean, yes, it's serious, but we, you know, we have a serious we have a serious mandate. I mean, the opportunity here is to build a billion dollar business, and uh, all of these people came in with uh, they took they took salary cuts and they wanted to buy into this system. They wanted to buy into what we were doing, sort of the Schwaz blueprint. And they're going to have upside with uh, being an owner in this business. So they've really bought into what we want to do and we want to go fast. So for us to go fast, I need an outsized team in terms of capabilities to go do that. And I think speed is absolutely critical. I think speed will be our competitive advantage as we go out, identify, underwrite, close deals, and then integrate them, and then rip the synergies out of them, and make sure we're delivering. So that's why we that's why we sized it the way we wanted to. And by the way, when you look at how we're running this from a lean perspective, I would put our our headquarter costs as a percentage of sales to anybody in the industry. We still run very very lean, and people are very talented, and they do multiple jobs.
0: Okay, the Colorado. Uh, well, I'm looking at some numbers you've actually provided in your in your uh, PowerPoint, which is the U.S. cannabis revenue estimated uh, by 2022 to be 2.5 billion, Colorado alone, okay, which is where you operate today. So you're talking about being a billion-dollar company. So let's let's break that down. Let's 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 start from the beginning. Say, so how do you get a billion-dollar company in Colorado? Or are the ambitions bigger than that?
1: Yeah, the ambitions are bigger than that. I you know our ambition is to build a 500 to 600 million-dollar business in Colorado. Uh, the blueprint that we've developed here that we continue to. Uh, perfect is something that we will apply to the next state and perhaps to the next state. So we very much would love to become a, uh, our ambitions to become a super regional where, you know, you're in a geographic area where you can share best practices. Uh, Granted, the supply chains all have to be separated and reside within their own respective state. However, people will travel uh, we can move people around. We can move store directors. We can move general managers around. We can move people that are running manufacturing plants, cultivations, and move them around in a geographic area so we can uh, continue to uh, really manage our culture and make sure we don't deviate from that culture and what we stand for and how we want to go compete and win. So that's that's where we're headed. You know, when, and when you look at the vision, The vision that uh, we all we all signed up for the business company is to be the most admired company in Colorado and the markets uh, where we participate. Uh, We do that by going very, very deep in the state. What do I mean by deep, deep and broad? We want retail. We're going to lead with retail stores, retail stores in every corner of Colorado, Western Slope, uh, Western Side, Northwest, Northeast, Southeast. Uh, southwest, Denver metro, all the way up through the I-25 corridor. We have tons of growth to continue to roll out stores there. And uh, we're going to continue to do that. And the way we get there is we've got a great ground game with our real estate personnel going out, building relationships with uh, commissioners and town councils and mayors and uh, all through the state uh, with the government and, and finding new licenses finding new stores acquiring independence and maybe running one or two stores that are tired of the uh, 24 7 retail experience because retail is hard retail is particularly hard for a small operator and you know it's hard to keep up with with companies that have size scale and can continue to bring talent in rotate talent out and uh, can outspend you so that's, uh, that's really what we're doing in Colorado and we'll, we'll end up building that shelf space uh, throughout the state and we will then, it's a part of that shelf space, we're going to be in a position to bring our own flour in, which is a much higher volume or a much higher margin. We're going to be, be able to bring in uh, our store brands or our own branded products, whether it be pre-rolls, concentrates, salves flour, et cetera, and bring that into our stores and and build loyalty, build a reputation of quality and availability and build those brands. And then we'll take those and probably go a more premium product. And then we'll be able to sell to the other independents. So that's, that's sort of the sequencing of the blueprint. Establish retail, establish retail, sell our own flour, sell our own brands, and then build premium brands that we can we can sell into uh, other other folks. Okay, so a few, a
0: few things going going on there. One which I want to talk about, which is basically your, your business model. So I get that you come from a retail background, you know, with Albertsons and 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 Cerberus. What. <laughs> If we, when we saw when we you know back in back in two thousand when you know internet came along and then we go oh bricks and mortar are dead and then you know for some sectors it, it was true for a while and we've seen that again through this kind of covid period people you know going online in their droves and buying stuff online you're talking about going out and it, it, getting properties. You've, you've got to brand those things. You've got to uh, kit them out. You've got to staff them. You've got to you pay your rent and all the other kind of ongoing costs associated with that. Why why is that the kind of cornerstone strategy for something like this, which surely is going to be much more easily distributed online? You, you can build up an online presence and, and do this. Why why, why is re- physical retail important to you?
1: Yeah, two two comments. Um, one is we want to be able to meet the customer where they want to be met. Uh, occasions dictate when, how people shop. We've seen that in food retail. We've seen that in other sectors as well. So, you know, there's a time, there's a time when, you know, uh, mom or dad of the household wants to go to a store and pick out some variety for Friday night. They may want to have a, they're having friends over and they want to pick out a new strain of flower or a concentrate, or a gummy, or an edible, or a pre-roll, there are also times when they want it delivered, and uh, they don't have the time to go do that. Or, you know, you have someone who's kind of curious, uh, but not super comfortable coming into the store just yet, as they're going down their, uh, their, uh, their path with getting to know cannabis. So it's safer to have that delivered. So the way it works is we will have a network of brick and mortar stores. We also have an omni-channel capability. So you can do curbside pickup. You can have same day delivery, next day delivery, and we're testing measuring uh, the last mile with, with outside parties as well as our own trucks, our own employees, And uh, we're doing some of that test and measure as we speak. So we're, we are delivering today in Aurora. Um, So we're watching, we're watching the basket. We're watching the contents. We're looking at the consumer data, who's buying, why are they buying, what's the occasion and learning a lot there, so.
0: Oh, that's interesting.
1: You know, and and another thing Matt, is the way we're set up in Colorado, a buyer must purchase from a brick and mortar store. Uh, and then it must be shipped from a brick and mortar store. So it's very much a part of the omni-channel ecosystem is having brick and mortar stores uh, with same day delivery, next day delivery and curbside pickup. So, you know, that's an advantage for operators in Colorado. So you can't have someone come in with a cannabis sort of Amazon model where they're gonna set up just you know, fulfillment centers and ship all over the state. So the anchor point of the retail eco center or ecosystem is the brick and mortar dispensary. So that's why we're putting a lot of muscle behind building a big, broad set of dispensary uh, locations across the state.
0: Okay, so that that's the kind of adult recreational. In fact, that's interesting. Actually, you use the word recreational. Most people, have, you know, up until you know the past few months, have been talking about the word adult because recreational had a bad connotation or a negative connotation to it but in america everyone understands that there's there's no negativity towards that
1: you know certain people do we use it interchangeably i'm, I'm happy to i'm happy to use adult use if that's if you think that plays better we talk about it either way.
0: And on the on the medicinal side, is that something that you'll get to, or is not part of your model or revenue projections?
1: You no, know, we we certainly see uh, there there are continuing to be medical uh, medical only dispensaries, and we will add a few of those in certain geographies on a select basis, where those geographies only allow medical uh, medical cannabis. But in general, the market, once once you have adult use, uh, the market swings pretty dramatically uh, over to the recreational side. And on the medical side, you can buy more, you know, you can buy buyer, bigger quantities of THC um, without any taxes. But in general, what you see is you see a migration from med to rec uh, over time.
0: And is that partly because the difficulties are operating in that space? Is it medical, pharmaceutical, very heavily regulated. The distribution channels and, and the players involved do control large swathes of your ability or a company's ability to make margin. So is that, is that part of the consideration or is it just more that you see the, the future of this market? And no, it's, right? I think, I think
1: for, for, the consumer, for the consumer, certainly heavy, heavy users that are treating cancer, uh, pain, uh, back pain, arthritis, etc. You're going to continue to see them probably buying medical, uh, medical grade uh, cannabis, so they just get more THC. So w- when you think about that, that's going to continue to be the place. But you're going to have to, but to do that, you've got to get a medical card, and you've got to continue to have that medical card from a doctor. Uh, continue to keep that refreshed. So it's just a little more inconvenient than simply walking in and buying. Buying cannabis on an adult base uses.
0: Okay, so that, that's interesting. So I, I want to. I'll say go back to something you said earlier, which is you will grow your own. Right now, if I look at the industry, well, Albertsons would be a prime example of that. You would never have dreamed of owning a farm, I suspect. Would you?
1: We we did not. We didn't own a farm, but you know what? We actually had twenty manufacturing facilities. We manufactured our own milk, our own ice cream, our own bread and the, you know, the margin profile of those products were substantially higher than buying it from uh, CPG manufacturers. So you'll certainly see us do that as well. You know, our goal is to sell our own items in our store, but also source really high quality flour and products that give us great variety uh, for our customers and what they want. So that's, that's the secret sauce.
0: So. Just explain that a little bit for me, because if I if I look, if I look at supermarkets t- t- today, you know they have relationships, they have contracts and agreements with farmers, growers, um, and they're squeezing those margins down. And you know we get to hear a lot of very vocal farmers. I've never met a poor farmer, but they, they talk the language, um, you know. And and therefore it it seems like you you've got a lot of growers out there who you'll be able to you know option and get contracts in place with. So why wouldn't you do that instead? Why, why, why the desire to control it all the way to, from seed through to sale?
1: Yeah, so let me let me be clear on that. So I mean, our once again, I come back to what our blueprint is. Our blueprint is to have broad set of stores that are high volume. That we have we have coverage to cover the consumer in Colorado, all corners, western slope, in the mountains, in Denver. We wanna be able to, today we source a majority of the flour that we sell um, at our stores today. So we have 17 stores today, we're going to 19 with the close of two in Boulder. And today that's all sourced on the outside. We have partnerships with well over 30 growers, high quality growers over the state. So if you think about it, let's just do some simple math. So if you look at the wholesale price today, it's approximately 1200 per pound. Of, of grade of sort of select grades sort or of middle tier flour. We can produce flour indoors between 400 and $500 a pound. Greenhouse we can, we can, we can uh, grow between 150 and call it 250 a pound. Outdoor we can grow it for less than 100 a pound. So the, the, the variation in terms of what the cost structure is, is quite significant. So bringing that into your retail stores, obviously you've got margin uh, expansion opportunities there. Now, you've also had to spend the capex for that farm and you have the exposure for the crops, et cetera. So the way we think about it very simply is we wanna hedge. We would like to have 50% of our flower capabilities within our own system. And then we're sourcing 50% of that with really good partners, good growers that are growing strains that we want and are working with us on innovation and for new strains, new, uh, new terpene profiles, new THC levels, et cetera, to be able to do that from a genetic standpoint. And we think that's a great place to be and then we'll evaluate that. Uh, but you know that's, that's how we're thinking about it. Now on the bio, let's, let's switch gears. So that's retail. Now let's talk about our wholesale business. So we are the largest wholesaler uh, distillate in the state today. We have about a little over 20% of the market today. So we take trim and biomass, we bring that into our manufacturing facility at Purple Bees, and then we convert that with heat, pressure, solvents, Uh, and we distill it and we create 90% plus distillate that we sell by the kilogram to manufacturers. So it's a B2B business. So we would sell that to vape cartridge manufacturers for the distillate. We would sell that to edible manufacturers as well, concentrate manufacturers. So we would sell that. Now, the input of that is biomass. So we would like to get to 50, 60% of our own biomass needs to be able to supply that because we can supply that much cheaper than going out and buying biomass on the wholesale market today. So, you're very much a hedging strategy, very much what I deployed at Albertsons. So, we didn't buy all of our, you know, we didn't make all of our milk, we didn't make all of our ice cream, but we had a natural hedge against future price increases from the manufacturers, which what they which is what they would do. So, and I think that's a, I think that's a great place to be. Uh, i haven't heard anybody else really thinking about it that way and i think our our backgrounds lead us towards that
0: strategy right makes sense Well, i've got a question which is i so i get i get the hedging components but if if i look at you know being a control is a great thing in business you want to be in control i get that okay um certainly given where you've come from but. The kind of capex component, disease control component, and all the other risks that you are going to have to mitigate, control, and spend money doing when you're a hundred million dollar company—that that's the decision making which intrigues me. And go well, actually, do you know what? It's worth it because what? It's worth it. Why?
1: It's worth it. We have our own proprietary growing uh, methodology called Three Alight. So the beginnings of this business was really around. Uh, consulting around cultivation. So we have master growers who, you know, back in 15 and 16 could go in stand up a new growing facility in Pennsylvania, in uh, in Nevada, in Arizona, and they could go stand up growing facilities where those facilities were struggling getting crops out, where we would come in and be able to give them what's called three pounds of light. So for every light, for indoor light, we would be able to take their yield up Anywhere from 100% to 300%. So we have that capability within our within our uh, ranks today. So that's preventative, you know. That's preventative uh, uh, maintenance of, of the equipment. It's looking at, at uh, nutrient provisions. It's looking at the growth cycle. It's looking at uh, humidity. All the controls around doing that, and you know, managing disease and managing pests. And we've got a full a full process and a blueprint for doing that, and we feel very confident. Uh, you know, we've got we've got almost a decade of experience in doing that, and continue to refine that three light process. So that gives us great great confidence.
0: Okay, so you got got the experience and track record, but none of this is theory, not none of this is new to you. Okay, get it. I, gonna come got it. I'm going to kind of skip through. You know,
1: we got a lot, We got a lot. We got about ten decade of scars. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah. It's the best way to learn um, okay I want to kind of skip through a few topics here because I'm, I'm so I'm actually really really intrigued by this I wasn't expecting to like it uh, I do so I want I want you to come back on and do a deep dive elsewhere but but, but and I was also conscious of time for, for both of our sakes at the moment but I do want to fin- finish off with your M&A strategy you're you're quite acquisitive now I've referred to a lot of you know, Naive individuals coming in here have got experience in one aspect of this, or a belief that they can crack the market where others haven't, or they've got a product, or uh, some sort of strategy which will allow them to succeed where others haven't. And a lot of them have fallen over. But based on the numbers for you know Colorado, you know, twenty twenty two, two point five billion. Actually, I'm looking at uh, California, four point seven billion, Florida, two billion. I mean. So, circa twenty-three billion bucks worth um, of cannabis revenues that you're talking to me about for 2022, it's getting to be a sizable market. The M A strategy you've got you've got to make darn sure that you're picking up the right companies that you know give you some leverage or some advantage or or some some level of uh, you know quick win, or you're going to waste a lot of money here. And I know you're doing that in an environment where Regulatory legal frameworks are difficult to navigate and therefore slightly more expensive to navigate. So what's the plan here? What, what, do, you, what do you do when you're a hundred million dollar company versus what you'll do when you're a billion-dollar company?
1: I, I think it starts, it's it absolutely starts with a systematic approach. So it starts with strategy. So what do we want to do? So we lay out, let me just walk you through what We're on a whiteboard. We're gonna get a PowerPoint together. I'm gonna let you into, here's how we do this. So we lay out the state, we lay out all the stores, we pull metric reports, we look at who's got volume and who's doing the most volume out of those dispensaries. We look at it versus our store um, footprint and where we need to continue to add, where we have opportunities to grow density and grow market share. We lay that out we get a a number of attractive, we believe from a volume perspective, we may not have all their financials and no profitability, but we have some proxy information. And then we rack and stack that and prioritize it, number of stores, location, et cetera, Ability, ability for us to run our playbook there, which at the store level is great assortment, great quality, great customer service and a really great experience when you come in and can we, can we deploy our system doing that? Can we get staff there uh, to manage that particular store? So we look at that and, and then we look at, okay, so if, if a chain has 20 stores, we have a group who goes and attacks that and looks at, we do the analysis, we look at it, we do an approach, uh, we meet with that company, we talk about what the benefits of coming together could look like then we also have independence. And as I shared with you, of the north of 600 uh, retail, retail dispensaries focused on adult use, well north of 400 of those are single store operators or own two stores. So it is very fragmented. Then we, I have a head who has a team underneath them where we go out and we go meet with those independents. We go have lunch with them. We build relationships with them and uh, we develop rapport and very quickly we say, okay, is this attractive to us? And then you got to say, okay, is this actionable? Are these folks really interested in selling or not because time and our health are our greatest assets. So we make a decision around that. Is this, is this going to be a 18 month, uh, you know, romancing, or is this going to be something that we can get traded in two to three months okay and we put that in there and that goes into the funnel and then we allocate resources and then behind that we have a underwriting team where we do quality of earnings we make sure there's no legal issues we look at all the liabilities we've got a legal team that's got a standard uh a standard purchase whether it's an asset purchase agreement or stock purchase agreement we try to come to terms around that and very quickly once we do that, once we sign off, the business is what it is. We look at synergies where, how they're buying, what we're buying, uh, where we think we can take best practices from them, et cetera. And then we turn that over into, we close. Then the integration team about six weeks before we close uh, is putting together all the integration. So today we have, we've, we've integrated all 17 of our stores on the same point of sale. And we did that within two and a half months, which is incredible. The team did a great job. Uh, and I brought somebody over who's done merger integration work at two other places who's worked with me. So we have a system, we have analysts, they know data, they know people, we gotta pay people right, we gotta get pricing right, we gotta convert the store, et cetera. So they've got a system in doing that. And then the back part of that is we've got a scorekeeping group. So we have a synergy realization office and uh, that group is run by our data science group and we run it like a business so we have a p l here are all the synergies so we said we're going to get x amount of, of growth synergies margin synergies uh here's how many new products we're going to add to the store and we're going to measure that here's our cost takeouts uh here's what we're going to do from from electricity from whatever we put all that in and say okay here's the scorecard now let's see how we do and you know we We obviously want to under promise and over deliver, so we develop credibility around doing that. And that's the, you know, that is the blueprint. And you got to have a team out, work in every jurisdiction, all corners of the state. You know, we're working on probably 20 different cities right now, and that requires meeting the commissioner, meeting the mayor, and it is hard groundwork. So it also
0: requires money, though, Justin. So what? what,
1: I I don't see anybody else. Doing that today?
0: No, I certainly haven't heard of it either. But it will require money. So, what are you going to do about that? Are you going to keep piling money in, or are you going to have to go out and raise?
1: You know, I think we're going to have to continue. Now, the way we structure our deals, generally, uh, we're buying companies anywhere from two to three times EBITDA, all the way up to five times EBITDA. We trade today; we're undervalued at ten times. So, these are accretive deals; they're all profitable. And then if with synergies we can be able to buy them a little bit cheaper than doing that but that's that's the way we're thinking about that the way we structure our deal which is what your question is we typically will do cash we'll typically take a seller note that is better than capital markets today that gives us a little better cost of capital and then we provide equity and those range depending on what the negotiation is so that cash component piece of it we're sitting on I think uh, last quarter we announced we were sitting with 21 million dollars of cash. We're generating free cash, so some of these acquisitions will be paid out of our balance sheet in cash flow generation. Some of which are a little bit larger. Uh, we're going to need we're going to need to raise some capital. The good news is cost of capital is coming down. The good news is with size and scale that we have, we're attracting uh, more pools of capital. So there's actually competition and bidding friction. Uh, When folks are looking at us, whether it be on equity or whether it be on a on a debt basis. So uh, we have to raise capital. I think the markets are open for us. Our story is resonating. Uh, We're we're a contrarian. Uh, Our strategy is very different than the MSO who wants to be in 30 states or 25 states. They want two or three stores in each state to say they've got coverage and they've got, you know, and they're building it that way we're building it differently. We're building it from our foundation is going to be retail where we can grow market share and that gives us the opportunity to build brands, to develop our flower brands, build a really great business. Then we can start launching premium brands within our stores selling it within Colorado and then whatever the next state is, the next state, that's how you build brands. And that's different than what other folks are thinking about. But that's a way to do this thing over the long haul. That's why we're different. That's why I think the strategy is uh, is one that's worth worth taking a look at.
0: It's, it's definitely interesting from that perspective. And, and perhaps we, like I keep threatening to wrap this up, but I you for the questions. Is you're on the OTCQX at the moment, right? Um, which is great, so people can can get access to this. But plans. Bigger plans than that down the line, or is that, again, a constraint because of the legal and regulatory components of cannabis?
1: Yeah, Matt, great question. I mean, today, today because cannabis is a Schedule 1 drug uh, at the federal level, uh, as a US operator of plant touching operations, we, are not, we do not have access to the NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange. There are other exchanges outside of this country where we can particularly in Canada and uh, that seems to be something that uh, could be interesting and something that we could explore.
0: Okay, Justin, look, I, I will finish it there. Please come back on. There's a, there's a few rabbit holes I want to kind of dive down with you. I'm, I'm certainly intrigued about the, the branding component, the, the marketing component of this, especially around sort of adult recreational In Colorado, but I'm also intrigued about how you can leverage synergies cross border, given again the the constraints there. So, appreciate your time today. Uh, Best of luck. Speak to you soon.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having us.
0: Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn.